As we get started this morning, I want to talk about phobias. Because more than likely in a room this size, with all the thousands and thousands of phobias that are out there, there's probably one or two that you have in your life. Whether it's a phobia of snakes or spiders or scorpions or Washington Redskins fans, whatever it may be, the phobia that you have, uh, there's a bunch of them. So I just want to test you guys today, all right? This is a group test. Either everybody fails or everybody passes. So we're going to put a phobia up here on the screen. And then I'm going to give you four potential answers. And then at the end, when I get the last one, here's what I want you to do. I want you to yell out, hey, A, B, C, or D. Got it? All right, great. Any questions? Good. Here we go. First one, ergophobia is the fear of work, the fear of ergonomics, the fear of going to the ER, the fear of sand. A, B, C, or D. Which one is it? A. It's A. Ergophobia is the fear of work. Man, you guys are way better than the first service, okay? So tomorrow, when you don't want to go to work, you just can't have got ergophobia, so I can't make it today. Turophobia. Is it the fear of A, cheese, the fear of tiramisu, the fear of straws, or the fear of cutting the cheese? Which one is it? You guys are real confident with that first one. This one, you're like, I don't know. See? It is not. It is A, the fear of cheese. Here we go. Third one, nomophobia. It is the fear of being out of mobile phone contact. A fear of Nomo Garcia Pera, which I know his real name is Nomar Garcia Pera, but it makes it more fun this way. The fear of Nomo money. <laughs> or the fear of trash. You guys are terrible. Thank you. That kid over there, I heard that. It's A. That kid knows it because every teenage kid in America has nomophobia. The fear of being out of mobile phone contact. Here we go. Last one. Ablutophobia. It is the fear of bathing. The fear of Bluto from Popeye. The fear of arithmetic. The fear of bloating. Which one is it? You guys are good. You learned a pattern, didn't you? Yeah. It is the fear of bathing. Again, an issue for middle school boys specifically. <laughs> Parents, you can use that. There are a lot of phobias. And, and again, some of us have those phobias. But, but more than like, if you don't have a phobia, you have a fear. There's a fear that you carry around with you in your life. And in fact, if you think about it, every living creature has fears. Animals are fearful of predators, right? They're, they're fearful that they're not going to be invited to lunch, but they, they will be lunch. And so there's this fear of predators. Kids have fears. Fears of noises in the middle of the night. Fears of dark rooms, again, in the middle of the night. Fears of there not being any snacks in the house for them to eat. I mean, these are fears that kids have. And adults, we have fears too. Again, we talked about some of those fear of tunnels, the fear of heights, the, the fear of public speaking, the fear of rejection, the fear of losing a job. And parents, you also have the fear of there not being enough snacks in the house because your kids will mutiny against you. I mean, we carry that fear with us. Every single one of us in this room have fears, all kinds of fears. And so today, as we continue this series called Mixtape, we're gonna look at a psalm that I think is a great prescription of how we deal with fears that we have. How can we get beyond the anxieties that we carry with us because of those fears? 
If you haven't been here with us, we're kind of getting nostalgic with this particular series. Uh, we talked about it. some of us are a little bit older, and so we remember those days we used to take boom boxes and make our own little mixtapes of all these different musicians and songs that we loved, and we'd take it with us in the car, or we'd take our boom box with us everywhere we went, and you'd have to buy like $300 worth of batteries to run that thing when you went somewhere, but you didn't mind because you got to listen to your favorite music. Today... Of course, we grab our phones and we hit playlist and we have plus, 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 plus. Boom, there we go. I got my playlist. It takes about five seconds to do that. But that's because we love music and music says so much to us. Our, our series is based on the book of Psalms. Because what I said at the very first week was the book of Psalms is God's playlist to us. And in this playlist, there are 150 songs. These songs have been written over the course of about 900 years ago, all the way back to the time of Moses. And even to this day, many of those songs are used for weddings and funerals and parties and celebrations. This morning, we are going to look at one of these specific songs. And more than likely, it is a song that everybody in here may know by heart, or you've heard it, even if you haven't been a part of church. It's Psalm 23 or Song 23. Song 23 was um, written by David. And um, one of the 73 of the 150 songs that we think are written by are connected to David in some way, shape, or form. Again, most of us are familiar with it. If you're like me, you can recite it, but you can only recite it in the King James Version because that's what you learned as a kid, right? So you're reading it this morning like, I don't remember, there's supposed to be a shall there and a thou and a seeketh and runneth. And so we've learned it in that way if you're a little bit older, of course. But, um, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And here's what we, we find about this song. When we think about it, we, we have this picture of, of David. He's on his balcony at one of his palaces. He's overlooking this incredible city. He's drinking a pina colada. He's just kind of hanging out. He's got a pen and, and paper with him, maybe his little Apple laptop, whatever they had back in the day. And, and he's just fantasizing about what would this look like. And he just starts writing down these words. This song is not that type of song. This song comes from deep hurt and pain in David's life. In fact, we're pretty sure David wrote this song at the end of his life, towards the end of his life. And he's looking back. He's reflecting on the past. And as he reflects on the past, he, he remembers these moments in his life that took place, the fears that he experienced. He, he remembers King Saul trying to kill him before he became king, before David became king. He remembers the son, Amnon, who sexually assaulted his half-sister, Tamar, and then Absalom jumps in, kills Amnon. And then he remembers Amnon, his own son, coming in and trying to overthrow David, and then he's killed. And, uh, David remembers the royal scandal with he and Bathsheba and what took place there and, and how he had Uriah killed and how the baby that was born to them died. See, David looks back at his life and he, he sees all of these moments of pain and hurt. And, and with that, all the fears that came with that, fears of, of his own decisions, the fears of the outcome of those decisions, the fear from other people that were trying to take him out, that were trying to get him out of the way from that kingship, the fear of, of those moments in his life where he was weak and the outcomes from it. Psalm 23 isn't a fantasy song. Psalm 23 is a song about experiences that David had and the fears that came along with that. And through that, he writes this incredible, incredible song 
that I think gives us a prescription for the fears that you and I may face in our lives. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 23 or Song 23. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. You can turn to Psalm 23. Uh, In fact, if you don't have a Bible at home, your Bible is missing, it's torn up, you know somebody who needs a Bible, please feel free to take one of those. Uh, That's a gift from us to you. Uh, We would love to see that happen. But you can open one of those. We'll put it up here on the screens. You can follow along on your Journey Church app and take notes there. And also your program has a space for notes this morning too. But we're going to look at Song 23 from David. Here's what it says. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. As this song begins, David begins with a name. He starts with this name. It says the Lord. Now, actually, in the Hebrew writing, this is one word. It would just be Lord. Now, if you're reading through your Old Testament, you're reading through the Bible, and you see Lord capitalized like that, it's actually the name Yahweh. That was one of the Jewish names for God. Now, here's the way that they would actually spell this word, Y-H-W-H. They didn't use vowels, and so this is the way you would spell it. This is known as the tetragrammaton, okay? Tetragrammaton. Some of you are like, is that a Decepticon or an Autobot? Hmm. Because you're thinking Transformers because it sounds pretty close. But it's not from the movie Transformers. This doesn't take us back to that time period. Um, But this is a name, a phrase that was used for God. And so here's David at the very beginning, and he says, here's the Lord, all right, this begins with this name. And by the way, you wouldn't really, as a normal, regular Hebrew, write that name out. You would never even say it publicly. Really, the high priests were the only people who could actually say that name. There was so much respect and reverence for God. And here's David who begins this song, Song 23, and he begins right there with that name, Yahweh. If we take the Lord and make it one name, which again, in the Hebrew it would have been. We have 108 words that we're going to read today in Song 23. The other 107 words in the song actually point back and describe who God is to David. And how does David begin this out? Go back to verse 1 again. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, Now notice here, David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is their shepherd, the the Lord is, is our shepherd or your shepherd. He says, no, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's a guy. He is king of one of the most powerful nations in that region at the time. He's known from from all over, all around. People are looking up to him. Here's a moment. This guy could have the biggest ego in the world. And yet as he looks at his life, as he goes back, he says, you know what? Through it all, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I've never lacked for anything. I read this song over and over again, and as I do, um, it's easy for me to understand because my grandfather, one of my grandparents, my mom's dad, granddad, or we call him Pawpaw, Pawpaw Ferris, was a shepherd. He, he, had, he worked in the dairy industry for a long time, but he always had a farm. And on his farm, he had sheep. 
And so when we would go to go visit them in southwestern Virginia where he lived, uh, we'd go to their house and we'd go hook up with our, our cousins and we'd just go out to the pasture and we'd just run around. And of course, one of the things you do when there's sheep out there and you go into a pasture, you chase the sheep, right? And so we would chase the sheep. Now, my grandfather, maybe like some of yours, um, kind of an old school, school kind of guy. Uh, he was in World War II, had shrapnel throughout all his body, Purple Heart kind of guy. Uh, you, you know those guys, they were, they were a little rough, right? Now, he was a big teddy bear at the same time, but he was pretty rough and gruff, especially if you messed with his sheep. And so we'd go out, we'd chase the sheep, and he'd find out, or he'd hear the sheep, and, and he'd run out and start yelling at us. We'd go hide because we were kind of afraid he might pull a fingernail off or something if he caught us. And so we'd go hide in, in the barns that were around the property. But it was funny because when he would go out into the pasture, it was incredible what would take place. He'd go out there, and if the sheep were there and they saw him, they would go right to him. Anybody else would walk out, they'd kind of put their head up, but then they'd just keep on eating. They just kept eating. They just kept doing what sheep would normally do. But when he would walk out, all these sheep would go to where he was. What was even more fascinating, the sheep could be on the property somewhere, hills away, and my grandfather would whistle. And you could just sit there and you could watch, and all of a sudden the sheep would start coming toward him. They'd start running toward him. I, I think about that and I understand what David is saying here about the Lord being my shepherd and not lacking for anything because when my granddad would go out there, the sheep knew that he was their shepherd. Nobody else could do what he did. Nobody else had that relationship with the sheep like my grandfather did. And he would go out there and you would know those sheep knew they were going to be cared for, they were going to be guided, they were going to be protected because my grandfather was their shepherd. David begins this psalm with those powerful words the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he looks back on his life and he says god has always been guiding me and leading me and protecting me and taking care of all my needs the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing when you and i think about our our lives what is our shepherd, we, we kind of talked about this last week. What is our shepherd? I think for many people, our fears end up being our shepherds. Our, our fears, the anxieties that we carry, the burdens that are there, they end up becoming our shepherds in our life. And, and if we're honest, those fears aren't very good shepherds at all. And David says, through everything I've experienced, through the fears and the pain and the burden and those anxieties, I found one thing to be consistent, and that is God as my shepherd. And when God is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Who is the shepherd for us? But then David continues on, verse 2. He said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. That second word up there is so powerful. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. David is not given an option here. God doesn't say, hey, if you want to do this, or here's three choices that you get to make. David said, God, when God is my shepherd, God makes me lie down in these green pastures and in fact if we look through those particular verses right there the words that are used mean fully fed it means that the David is satisfied uh, again if you know much about sheep they would eat and when they were full they would sit down let everything digest David says that's the place that I'm at when God's my shepherd 
that I get to this place where I'm fully fed, I'm satisfied, and God makes me, God makes me rest. When we have fears in our lives, when we struggle with those anxieties that we have, um, do we ever rest? Our, our, our bodies are moving, aren't they? Our, our minds are, are racing. And in fact, some of us carry such deep burdens and deep fears that from the time that we wake up in the morning till the time we go to bed, we are nonstop action. But at some point in time, you got to lay down, right? You, you got to sleep. But what happens when we sleep and we carry those fears and burdens with us? We lay down in the bed and our bodies may be resting, but our minds, they're racing. And we're thinking about what happened. We're thinking about the experiences that we had. We, we think about the fear that we carry, those burdens that are there, those anxieties, and we never fully rest. Because those fears, I think, are our shepherds. Those fears are leading us. And David says, well, if God's your shepherd, God's going to make you rest. God's going to make you take a break. And I'm not just talking about physical breaks. I'm talking about a soul break. Back in the Old Testament, we have the Israelites who come out of Egypt. God gives them the Ten Commandments. One of those commandments is, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. God's like, look, here's the deal. And you can work really hard for six days a week. But on that seventh day, here's what I need you to do. I need you to rest. I need you to catch your breath. And and again, it wasn't just a physical break. This was a spiritual moment to breathe. And God says, you've got to breathe, and this is how you're going to do it. David, I believe, feels the same way about God, that God makes him rest when that fear is there. And for you and I, for us to move forward, If God is our shepherd, one of the things God calls us to do is to rest. To rest. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think this part of the song connects with more people than anything else. Because David here, he talks about this darkest valley. These are the experiences that you and I have in life that are, that are just tough. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a divorce or bankruptcy, rejection, a loss of a job, sickness, disease. Yeah, every single one of us in this room, we have probably experienced those darkest valleys. And what I'm pretty sure of is that there are some of us in there here this morning, maybe majority of us, who find ourselves in that darkest valley right now. And we're struggling with that. That fear is there. But David says, guess who's with you there? God is. My shepherd's there with me. Because wouldn't it be kind of weird if you came up to this dark valley and you're a shepherd and you got your sheep and you're looking down this valley you're like, wow, that's... It's a little scary. You know what, guys? Why don't you guys just go on through there? I'm going to go around this other way. I'm going to go up on the ridge. Man, it's really hilly and rocky. I don't think you guys can make it up there. I'm going to walk along that way, and hopefully I'll see you on the other end. That's not a good shepherd, right? A good shepherd looks and says, this is the path that we are on. This is the path that we've got to take. Let's do this together. And then that shepherd guides us through that dark valley. Here, David says the, the shepherd does this, but, but what else does the shepherd do? The shepherd has a rod and a staff. 
The rod was a, basically a weapon. It was probably about this big. It was a stick. It had a big head on the top of it, like a, a club. And they would wear this in their belt. And so if predators came or thieves came, what the, what the shepherd would do, he would pull out that club and then he'd just whack them on the head or fight them off, whatever he had to do to protect the sheep. And so he has this rod there for protection. But not only that, there's a staff. And, and the staff isn't a walking staff. We kind of have this picture of this is a, the shepherd and the shepherd's like 155 years old, can hardly move, and so he's got the staff. The staff was actually more of a guide. Um, if you've ever been in the Christmas pageant plays around Christmas time and you got to play the part of the shepherd because everybody wanted to be the shepherd for one reason, you got to carry the staff around, right? So you could whack other kids. And so if you remember that, it had a little crook on it. And so that's what that shepherd would use. The shepherd would use that crook for a couple of reasons. One, to save sheep. And so if a sheep fell off the side or kind of fell in the ditch, they could reach down with that crook and they could pull them out. If a sheep was acting up, because sheep are not very smart and they would act up, uh, they could also grab that sheep and pull it back and kind of watch that sheep. But then for a guide, if this flock is moving and one of the sheep kind of moved off to the side, because if you've ever been around sheep, they're, they're dumb animals, right? Really dumb. All they care about is eating. And so all they do is just kind of keep their head down. And they're just eating, eating, eating. It's kind of like you and I, we go to the beach and we go to a seafood buffet. We're like, just keep bringing the food. I don't care. I'm just going to keep eating, eating, eating. You don't pay attention to anything else. Same thing with sheep. They're not paying attention. And, and so they kind of get off the path. The shepherd would reach over with the stick, with the staff, and pop them on the side and get them back on the right path. Here's David that is describing this is who God is as the shepherd. How he guides and he leads and he protects. But see, for us, fear, again, seems to take over. And when fear hits, our anxiety levels begin to, to just explode. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. And so much of the fears that we carry build into that anxiety that, that we live with. The National Institute of Mental Health research that they did on this particular subject said that 18% of the population live with anxiety. $42 billion are spent per year on anxiety disorders. That is one-third of our country's $148 billion mental health bill. Where do those anxieties come from? I believe it comes from the fear that so many of us carry from those dark valleys and experiences in our lives and when God's not leading us it's hard to get away from that it's hard to save ourselves when we're in those dark places and David sends out a reminder that God should be our shepherd to deal with the fear to deal with those anxieties to help us through those dark places then David says this in verse 5 he says you repair a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is kind of a strange transition. Uh, we go from pasture to table, from outside to inside. We go from sheep to human. Some scholars say this is just sort of the process that we go through when God's our shepherd, sort of the, the relationship that continues to build when, when God is the one that's leading us, that we go from sheep to, to being fully human. And, and I, can, I can get that, but when I, I read Psalm 23, I always go back to that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. To me, that's kind of the thesis 
for, for this, this whole song. And, and so I actually connect verse 5 with still the idea of us being sheep and God being the shepherd. And, and here's why. Not only would a shepherd guide and protect and lead the sheep, but he'd have to take them to a pasture to go eat and to graze, right? And, and so here in what we just read, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Think about a sheep for a moment. What is a pasture to a sheep? The pasture is the table. It wasn't like the shepherd got to a pasture and was like, all right, guys, I need you to set up a table over here and you guys get that plastic table and put it over there. Put some tablecloths on it. Make sure, you know, make sure that the cups and the plates and everything matches because we got to feed the sheep and we're going to set them up at this table and they're going to eat. That's not the case at all. The pasture is the table. And so here we have, here we have David or we have God, the shepherd, taking the pasture, taking the sheep to the pasture to eat. And so that was the first step. The second step for a shepherd when he would take his sheep to eat was that he would canvas the pasture for enemies. Now, that meant he was looking for snake holes. That meant he was looking for maybe a home of, of a dangerous insect to the sheep or even dangerous plants. Think about that. Those are enemies to the sheep, right? And so he's got to get out his club and he's got he's to take that anthill and, and knock it down. Or if he sees a snake hole, he's got to fill it up. Or if he sees a dangerous plant, he's got to get rid of it. Because he wants to make sure that the sheep have everything that they need and everything that, that they desire. Because his job is to care for the sheep. He sets this table in front of them. He prepares it for them. He protects them from their enemies. And then lastly, shepherds would take out their olive oil and they would pour it on the heads of the sheep and they would take that olive oil and they would they would massage it into their woolen heads and, and around their ears and, and on their their nose and underneath their whole head and again the purpose was simple it was to keep gnats and flies and other insects away from the sheep not only that but the third or actually the greatest predator to sheep in that time in that area of the world were adder snakes. You had lions and, and bears, but the adder snakes were the most dangerous predator for the sheep because, again, what do sheep do? They just keep their head down. They eat like they're at a buffet. They don't pay attention. Those snakes would bite them. And so they would, they would cover up those holes. Some said that they would even take that olive oil and they would pour into the snake hole to make it slippery. Or the, the, the smell of the oil was a repellent to the snakes and they wouldn't go after the sheep. So if we, we look at this verse 5 here, I, I mean, I get the human qualities that we're talking about, but, but I still believe this connects with the sheep. That God prepares that table before him. He protects him from his enemies, that you anoint my head with oil. And in the end, what does David say? David says, my cup overflows. God, you, you are doing all this amazing stuff for me. And in the end, I'm fully fed. In the end, I'm satisfied. In the end, my blessings are way more than anything I could ever imagine. This is how David sees God. And then he finishes up with verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David looks back at his life. As a shepherd, I mean, he, he's writing from experience, by the way. He was a shepherd for many years. 
He looks at his experience as the king. He looks at his experience from all the dumb decisions he made. He, he looks from the, the, the moments of his messed up family. And as he looks around, you know, he sees there's something that has always been consistent. And that has always been God. God has restored his soul in those tough times. God has, has guided him and protected him and led him through those dark valleys. God gave him all the, the nutrition that he needed for his soul. He restored his soul. He, he healed his soul. He led David. And David says, here's the deal, God. You have been so incredible. You have been so amazing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow you to the day I die. You've always been there for me. You've always cared for me and taken care of me. And as I look over my life, I don't ever want to forget that because you have been my shepherd. And because you've been my shepherd, I will follow you to the day I die. Again, we have this picture of David and this making up this fantasy song, but it's all about his life and how he survived because of God. For you and me, as we think about our fears and the anxieties that we carry, what are our next steps? Well, let me quickly give you these three. The first one is this. What fears are leading you? I can promise you if God's not leading you, if God's not leaving, leading me, if I'm not following Jesus, I can promise you there's something else that is doing that. And a lot of times it's our fears. It's the anxieties that we have in life. The fear of failure. The fear of rejection, of loss. Something's leading us. And so we have to answer that question, what fears are leading you? But then secondly, how are you dealing with your fear? How are you dealing with your anxiety? Look, we are not good at doing this. We do not handle fear and anxiety very well. And so how do we do it in a healthy way? Well, the first thing I think you can do is grab the Bible and start reading the Psalms. I said this, I think last week and maybe the first week, I said, it's so interesting when you read through the songs, because every time you read one of these songs, what you find is that it kind of begins like there's anger and revenge and these people are hurting me and there's this burden and I'm scared and I'm fearful. And at the end, every single time it's like, but here's what God has done in my life. And maybe we could just take moments every day and, and read through these songs. And in fact, that's what we've invited you to do as a part of the journey on our Facebook page. If you like our Facebook page, uh, Monday through Friday, every day, we post one of these Psalms. Um, just read through it. We told you to read through it a couple times during the day. See how God uses that. If you've got your program today, you can look on the notes page on the bottom right. We've got it listed out Monday through Friday. Just take that, stick it in the Bible, and read those every single day. I can promise you, if you spend time in Psalms over the summer, God will do some cool, amazing things we'll be reminded of the shepherd that God is. We'll be reminded that there's someone who can handle the fear and anxieties that we carry. But the second thing I would say is counseling. Um, if you've been here a part of the journey for any length of time, you know that I preach the importance of counseling over and over and over again. I believe God can heal us and take us through the fears and anxieties we have. I truly believe that, but sometimes we need someone else to set across from us and just Give us feedback and next steps because we're just so stuck and burdened where we are. And counseling is such a great way to move beyond that. We have a unique relationship with Safe Harbor Christian Counseling. 
And um, they actually have counselors who meet here in our building. We don't charge them anything to do that. They do it here. We, it's free for them to use the space uh, because we believe in it so much. And, and quite a few of the people here at the Journey have taken on that, that, uh, the, the counseling that's a part of that. Our family uses counseling. So you're not thinking, oh, everybody else needs it and you don't. No, our family uses the counseling. We use Safe Harbor Counseling. We believe in the importance of counseling. And so what we'd love for you to do, we'd love for you, if you're in that place and there are those fears and those anxieties that are just your shepherd, let somebody walk you through that step by step. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is email Alyssa. Alyssa is our business manager here at The Journey. Alyssa at thejourneynova.org. Just say, hey, I'd love that safe harbor information. She'll send it to you. And then you just contact them and set it up. If your, uh, not your life insurance, but if your health insurance doesn't cover it, uh, we actually help subsidize part of that through the journey because we believe in the importance of counseling. Don't let that go away. What we need to do is deal with the fear and anxieties that we have. And then lastly, let Jesus be your shepherd. Let Jesus be your shepherd. For some of us in here, that means baptism. That means saying, I'm all in. Giving our life to Christ. And we'd love to talk to you about that. Fill out the connection card. Put baptism on there. We'll talk to you about what that looks like. And the power behind that, because that may be your first step. And for others, if you're like me, you've been a follower of Christ for many years, and I read a psalm like that, and I'm reminded that Jesus is my shepherd. And that's the place I always got to go back to, that Jesus is my shepherd. And if Jesus is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. And maybe that's the reminder that some of us need this morning.